0: Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. I'm very excited about what we're um, talking about today. We're in the third week of our uh, How to Read the Bible. And like I said, a lot of the content comes from this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. And... um, I'm going to kind of give you a walkthrough today of the concepts around why we we look to the Bible as authoritative. Why do we we look to this ancient book? You know, why do we look to this ancient book as a way of guiding and we talked about it last week a little bit about how it's kind of like the manual, you know, the manual like, you, you know, you don't want to put your... Dishes in the washing machine, you want to put them in the dishwasher because that's where they're going to get the, you know, you look at the manual to find out how things work. So why? Why why do we do that? So today's message is entitled, Inspired. Inspired. And we're going to talk about the inspiration of God's Word and also how does that inspiration of God's Word filter down through the ages and, and impact us today. Okay, so the big idea of today's message is this. All Scripture is Quote, unquote, God breathed and endowed with this supernatural power to transform us in the love of Christ. Okay, leave that up for a couple minutes there, for a second here. The, The concept is that we believe that the scriptures, this ancient text, is able to manifest itself in change for your life today. To impact not only your now, but your eternity. All right, so we want to be a people that understands that. We get this, this idea from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work all scripture including the old testament is breathed out by god what does that mean breathed out or divinely inspired divinely inspired now this is a big uh, this is a big ask for the christian you know to 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 believe that this 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 word of god that was penned notice how i said that penned by human hand is the inspired word of god Okay, that's a big ask. So why do we ask that? See, there's a profound similarity between the nature of Christ and the nature of Scripture. The first week of this series, we talked about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. So there's, there obviously is going to be some similarities between Christ and his Word. Okay, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Scripture is fully inspired by the Spirit of God. But it still upholds and utilizes the full humanity of its author. What does that mean? It means these people were like you. They lived back in a different time period, but they weren't like superhumans. In fact, one of the validities of scripture, the, the, one of the things that shows that the scriptures can be trusted, is that many of these people penned into the word their own flaws. Like if you're supposed, to, if you're not. You're going to try to build a legacy for yourself that, that lives on. You're going to talk all about the good things you did, and you're going to adios the less than good things you did, right? But the scriptures don't do that. They're authentic. They're, they're, they're full. The writers of scripture wrote out of their full humanity and their personal human experience while being profoundly moved and guided by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. There's really no great analogy, but think about this for a second. Think about an artist. Ever heard of writer's block? Or uh, uh, what a writer will say is often when they, when they start to go on, a writer or a painter or a, a filmmaker or a musician will say, when they really get like, you know, they found their muse. And it just kind of, from that point on, it just kind of flowed out of them. All right. So writers and poets can sometimes experience intense writer's block. They lack the words, the ideas, the emotional connection, or the proper psychological state in which to write. In a profound moment of inspiration, however, the ideas and words can flow out without, with remarkable ease and speed in the stream of consciousness. Think about like the jazz musician who just sits down at the piano, and he just goes. And he has this, this period of uh, performance. What is that called? It's called being in the zone. You're in the zone, and you're just going. You're, 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 you're riffing. You're doing your thing. And it's almost like it's coming from some other place. Now, that's, a, that's not a perfect example, but I want you to think about this concept of the, the, the writers were writing, but they were inspired from outside, By the word, the spirit of God moving in and through their own circumstances. You'll notice that much of the writers of of scripture are writing about a thing that they're dealing with. Like a human experience. And they're writing about how, uh, how it's tough. And then how God intervened. And how God showed up in the middle. I'm not saying that my journal is inspired by God and should be read for the next generations to know. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that that's kind of what we do when we journal. We, we take the scriptures, we take the circumstances we're in, and we let the Holy Spirit to contextualize it for us. All right. So, the very Spirit of God flowed through them and out of them as they pen their letters and books This was not merely natural human inspiration, but divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit was their muse. So, how to read the Bible for all it's worth talks about this, and it gives us some tools to understand how to read this inspired Word of God. Okay, and this is from them. The fact that the Bible has a human side is our encouragement. Why? Why is that encouraging to us? Because we're human, which means that the people who wrote it are writing to human experience. It is also our challenge because it asks us to to reject some of our humanness and embrace a supernatural reality. Okay? Okay? One of the most important aspects of the human side of the Bible is that in order to communicate his word to all human conditions, God chose to use almost every available kind of communication. So here's some of the communication uh, tools he used. Narrative history, genealogies, which I know you guys love to read. You get to a genealogy in Leviticus, and you're like, oh, thank God, I love this stuff. So-and-so begot so-and-so. Hallelujah. So-and-so begot so-and-so. Amen. Genealogies. Chronicles, laws of all kinds, poetry of all kinds, Proverbs, prophetic oracles, riddles, dramas, biographical sketches, parables, letters, and sermons. He just, it's the whole gambit. He uses every, why? Why does he do that? Because some of you are artistic and love poetry. And some of you are not, and like Leviticus. (laughs) We're all different. And God opens up the word to us in ways that we are going to, we're going to grasp it and get jazzed by it. Another important factor, this is out of this book, is that in speaking through real persons in a variety of circumstances over a 1500 year period, God's word was expressed in the vocabulary and thought patterns of those persons and conditioned by the culture of those times and circumstances. Which brings us to a difficulty in understanding Scripture. The time that they live, has many things that are similar. Solomon said it. There's nothing new under the sun. In fact, sin and temptation are not novel. Why would why would Satan change his uh, his strategy when it works so well? Some things are universal, but a lot of things culturally and um, and. Uh, culturally language experience is very different so it causes a challenge in order to correctly understand the scripture we must employ two tools of biblical interpretation now these are these are bible school words but i'm going to break them down for you ready the first one is exegesis and the second is hermeneutics okay this is what this is my job i'm going we are today going to uh Give you a window into what I do all week. I don't work one day a week, by the way. <laughs> I'm not just here on Sundays like, oh, he just pulled that out of, out of his back pocket and preaching. No. We, we, we work, and this is, this is part of the job of a pastor, but it's also the part of the job of every Christian. Exegesis and hermeneutics. So exegesis is the process of first trying to hear the word they heard. Say that. The word they heard. Jesus is trying to find out and understand the word they heard. Okay? Um, in light of the historical context, customs, language, and literary genre, we must try to understand what was said to them back in their time. We get into trouble when we don't do this well. What is the original intended meaning? There's a passage of scripture that I love. But Western Christians like to hijack this. And it's, and, and it's, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Now we can glean some things that are, are for us into this day and age. But you have to remember that that particular scripture was written to the Jewish people in a time when they were in, 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 uh, they were apostate in their teachings, in their understanding, and in their rituals. They weren't worshiping God properly. And he says, listen, this is my, my goal for you as a, as a nation is to prosper you, not to harm you. I don't want to do this. I want to give you a hope in the future. But when we read a little farther, it goes, but if you don't turn around and do what I'm telling you to do, That's not going to happen. You're actually going to go into exile. So we like to take that verse, pull it out of the context in which it was given, and say, that applies to me exactly how I understand it. That's, That's not good exegesis. The exegesis is to find out what is being said to the original here and also the context that surrounds that verse. Okay? So, Uh, exegesis is this concept of understanding the original intent and meaning. Now hermeneutics in its most narrow form is the process of uh, extrapolating see I you know that's from this book because I would never use that word. Extrapolating. Hermeneutics is the process of extrapolating from the exegesis of a passage what we need to hear in the here and now. Say in the here and now that's what we, we take the exegesis, proper exegesis of what is actually said to the original here and we take the principles and we apply them to what we can do with it in the here and now. Does that make sense? You look at me, everybody's kind of like, you got me? It's a tool for us to understand how we can contextualize even the Old Testament into the here and now. And we need to be doing this all the time when we're reading, seeking the com- uh, contemporary relevance of an ancient text. Apply it to our current context, customs, language, and life experience. Okay. When we do not do these two things well, we move into something called heresy. Okay, Heresy is this concept of using the, the word of God to say what we want it to say instead of what it actually says. And heresy is something that we do not want to be guilty of because the Bible is very clear that this is a bad thing. So we have to be careful to study the Scriptures for what they are. Though these tools are good tools for understanding the text, we must take the study of Scripture beyond a merely academic practice, right? There are so so many biblical scholars who don't love Jesus. So to just do it from an academic standpoint is not enough. According to verse 7 of 2 Timothy 3, the uh, scriptural study is meant to equip us for every good work, not just good knowledge, but to be acted out and lived out. This does not mean the Bible was written in order to answer every specific human question. Should I, should I go to college or should I go into a trade? There's probably not a verse for that. Right? There's, there's not a verse for that, but principles of, that we glean from the Scriptures and mingled And interpreted through the person of the Holy Spirit will allow us to get the answers we need to live a right life. But if you find that your desires and your inner talk is contradicting the written word, then we got to be careful. That may not be the Holy Spirit. It may be the burrito you ate last night. I would check the expiration date. All right. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens up our eyes to what helps us to understand. He is our great teacher, right? So it's not just academic. It does, however, show us that the way the uh, way of God and the way of righteousness and the way of eternal life, providing us with the tools or armor that we need to walk through the life in the light of God. Armor. Why we need? That sounds like there's a battle. Oh, there is a battle. There is a battle. Um, I'm trying to walk in the revelation I got in my day of prayer on Monday. That I think I've been, I've been I've been fighting every battle. And it's overwhelming me, and I'm getting, and God's like, no, stay in your lane, man. I got the battle right in front of you. I called you to this, do this. Let us let the other people that I called to fight that battle fight that battle. You are you are fighting too many battles. And I think we get overwhelmed in our culture, especially with the uh, proliferation of, of uh, round-the-clock news and social media. I mean, all these things, all these information pieces coming at us from every direction. I mean, one of the p- people I was listening to the other day said, um, this is a, uh, a therapist podcast. It was really good. He said, we live in a time now where our, our, our closest neighbor could live in San Diego. I mean, we used to hear about local news, right? Now, you know, we're hearing about somebody who got shot in a gang riot in San Diego like it was, like, next door. All I'm saying is we're inundated. And if we, we try to fight all those battles instead of letting God be the one who fights those battles, then we were going to get overwhelmed. So maybe that can help you a little bit today. Find out what, you know, understand what God has in front of you and fight that. But there is a battle. Ephesians 6, 10 says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like the armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Well, I love that part because I think... Um, I think the flaming arrows have increased in our culture. Let me explain that for a second. Um, <laughs> Evan put a, a snippet of my sermon on uh, on Instagram the other day, and it struck a nerve, man. Some people were just ticked about what I said, and what I said is that, and you were, if you were here, we're here. I said something like along the lines of. Um, the problem with our modern translations is not the translation of self, but the fact that we have—we can get the, the Bible at the dollar store. And we've lost an element of its specialness. Man, people hated that. They're like, the Bible should be free. What's your problem? I mean, I mean trolls just, just hit me from every direction. The, the flaming arrows were coming. One guy just... Just was so obviously was just so upset by what he said. He just said, "Hail Satan!" <laughs> I'm like man, I really ticked you off. <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, but like, we live in an age where like people just—they don't even know what they're doing. They're just trolls. They're just—they're just throwing flaming arrows at you. But what is what combats that? What combats that? Uh, the shield of faith. Right. I don't have to go and and answer all of those. And, and, and attack, and I just got to put my shield of faith. I know I'm good. He got me. He's got me. I don't need to go out and attack that, and attack that, and attack that. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on just this, but we're talking about how to read the Bible, right? So let's keep going. Um, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon in our arsenal is this. So we've got to know it, and we've got to know it well. We've got to be able to interpret it properly because when we fight back, we have to fight back with the only thing that's going to win, and the only thing that Jesus fought back with. When Jesus was tempted, he didn't, you know, and, and lop Satan's head off. I wish he did, but he didn't. What he did is he just spat back the words of his, his own words to Satan. and said, get out of here. And interestingly enough, which is going to lead us into this next section, interestingly enough, Satan knows the word of God really well too. He actually used the word of God to tempt the living word of God. But he always either twists it or detracts from it just a little bit. That's why we have to be able to study the word of God properly or Satan, Satan can use it to lead us astray. Why do we need armor to live the Christian life? Once we come to Christ, shouldn't everything be easier? Well, it depends on who you listen to. The Bible I read says no. The Bible I read says that it's going to actually increase your level of persecution. And if you are being persecuted for Christ's sake, you count it all joy because they persecuted me first. On the further study of the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3, our theme verse for today, will give you a better understanding of what we need the Scriptures for and why it's so important to interpret them properly. Okay, let's, let's look at it. 2 Timothy, starting earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, it goes this. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance, along with the persecutions and the sufferings that come to me that came to me in Antioch like uh, Lyconium, uh, Iconium and lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, listen to this: all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Whenever you see the word all, sit up and take notice. In fact, all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. Evil people, here we go, this is so important for our understanding today. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Why do we need to know this? Because people are going to try to deceive you. You know, they had it easier back in the day. A pastor could get up in the pulpit and say, hey, I don't want you to listen to so-and-so. He is a heretic. You know, because we just the communities. Now, I mean, you just can't do that. I would, have to, I would have to call out like thousands of people on the internet. It's a dangerous place for you. So what is, my, what is my role here? It's just try to help you to rightly divide this so that you can interpret it properly and not listen to the ones who are trying to deceive you. Which brings me to the concept of be a Berean. Be a Berean. What is, the, what is a Berean? Acts 17, 11 says this. The people who are more, the Bereans, these are the Bereans, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I want you to just get this concept real quick. Loving God and eagerness for God are good things, but you've got to be careful. Eagerness alone is not a virtue. Eagerness. I, I, I've come across many uh, new believers in our current time who've said, you know, they're, 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 you know, when you get to know Christ for the first time, man, you are just on fire. You, want, you you, can't get enough. You're just everywhere. You're just eating it all up. And they've gone onto the internet and they've listened to things and they've been, they've been so eager that they have gotten bad doctrine, and now their lives are really kind of weird. We have to be careful that our doctrine is sound, eagerness is good, but be a, Berean, be, be a Berean and examine the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Because it's gonna get worse. People are gonna try to deceive you, and they're just gonna it's gonna be a proliferation of deception, and we are seeing that in our Western church culture. There are many abuses and poor hermeneutical practices in the church today. One of the greatest offenders is the hugely popular prosperity doctrine that has permeated evangelical circles in the Western church. Now, I want you to know where this comes from, okay? This heresy had its rise uh, at the end of the 19th century in the beginning of the 20th century, and it has its roots not in Orthodox Christianity, belief, Christian belief, but in an American occult tradition called New Thought, which its cousin is the New Age. I think the end of the 19th, uh, 1900s, early uh, 19th, uh, 20th century, we had this this idea that this New Thought occult system started getting incorporated into Evangelical Christianity. It is not found in scripture. It's extra biblical. Okay? And I'll just give you an example of what this looks like. One of the most widely used scriptures used in prosperity doctrine is 2 Corinthians 8 9. Let me read it to you. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that you, by this poverty, might become rich. Hey, hey, there we go. I am entitled, as a child of God, to be rich. I mean, it, it, I mean, it looked. I mean, it's, ve- it's very. I mean, it looks like it, doesn't it? Reading by itself, it really does seem like Jesus Christ came to make us rich. But. Here we go. We're going to use our hermeneutics and our exegesis, right? But just expand the borders of the context just a little, bit, and you will see he is actually talking about being generous, even in our poverty, because of the grace Jesus has showed us. Ready? Let's expand it a little bit. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. That was given to the church in Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, they about, uh, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're going through troubles, their, their extreme poverty and affliction, yet they didn't let that, that circumstance keep them from being generous. Isn't that cool? Verse three, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to uh, to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had, had begun, so he should also complete among you This act of grace. Now, listen, this this switches from the Macedonian church now to the people he's talking to in Corinth. Now, as you excel in everything, as you have already had a lot of uh, prosperity, uh, but not in money. Look at what it says here. It's not about money, right? Now that you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in the acts of grace, I am not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuous, genuineness of your love. And then we get that verse that we read originally. For you know that the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty you might become rich. Rich in what? What does the context say? Grace. That's what the context says rich in grace. Verse 14, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need. So he's saying at this current time, uh, they're taking an offering for the, for the Jerusalem church. That's the context. That's the, that's the uh, exegesis of it. The context is that they're taking an offering for the J- uh, Jerusalem church that is going through a famine. So right now, right now, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need. So why don't you be generous so that your abundance may in turn meet you in your need in order that you may be, uh, in order that there may be equality. He's saying the the same famine that that Jerusalem is going through, guess what? It could come to you at any day. Wait a minute. But the Bible said that I'm supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I should have these things. I'm entitled to these things. No famine can come to me. That's not what the scriptures just said. It said, while you're making hay, make hay while the sun shines and be gracious during it because they might be supporting you later. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much. And the person who had little did not have too little. So pastor, are you saying you we're not allowed to have, be wealthy? No, no, no. What is he saying? He's saying the person who has much don't have too much. If God has blessed you, cut it off the top and give most of it, give a lot of it away. So Don't have too much. There's great need out there amongst your brothers and sisters, amongst missionaries, amongst um, people who are trying to stop uh, human trafficking, amongst people who are trying to uh, feed countries that have very little, I mean, there's so much need out there. And in a Western church, we're sitting here saying, well, God said I should be rich and have a Mercedes and I should have, that's not what it says. And I'm just thinking that one sticking point in our current Western theology, and there's many of them. So if you don't read the word properly and you don't use good exegesis and good hermeneutics, you can be led astray down many different heretical paths. And I can't cut all of them off for you. You've got to learn to be able to rightly divide this inspired word. So when we read and study the Bible or listen to different teachings and preachings, we must be diligent to apply good exegesis and hermeneutics in order to know what was being said to the original people and how that original text applies to us today. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The point of the Bible of a Bible study and daily devotion is personal growth in our relationship with God. That's the purpose of it. I feel like we, we, we kind of like mm, let's see, how can I get? How can I break the code? How can I? How can I get? You know, oh, if I just do this, that, and the other thing, I'll skip that part. And then, am I wrong? Come on, folks. I have, I have, a, I have a, a crazy statement for you. This is for you, but it's not about you. <laughs> this is, it's not about you. You are not the center of the universe, contrary to popular belief. He is. He is. And he loves you. And that's a good, that's right out of the word. He loves you. So he wants to help you to live a life that is going to be honoring to him and profitable for those who are around you. Profitable. I was reading a book, I was reading a biography of John Adams recently. I'm building what we, I'm, it's, I don't have a I'm, not a, I'm not a president, so I can't have a presidential library you know, all presidents have their own presidential, but I'm building a presidential library in my house of all these different president, biographies of all great leaders, right? And one of the things that John Adams said before the revolution happened, he said this, we are, I can't quote it perfectly because I just read it the other day, we are so concerned about our personal well-being when we really should be concerned about our personal usefulness. I was like, ideas like that cause a revolution. We're just concerned about what we can get out of everything and how I can make myself more comfortable and how I can get more leisure. And how, just, no, 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 no. That's going to cause, and, 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 and one, of the, one of the things he said way back in the day is that people who do that, who are self indulged, are depressed. It's only when we get out of ourselves and, and try to uh, see ourselves as useful to the world that we find self-gratification. Isn't that interesting? The sage. The Bible talks about that too. Reading the Bible is meant to be a transformative experience. It should change us. Somebody once said, the Bible is not out to change your circumstances as much as it is to change you within your circumstances. In order for this to take place, it is important that we approach the Bible in an intentional, personal, and relational manner, not just for the purpose of more knowledge or education. So how I'm going to land this plane. Ready? All this nebulous information about hermeneutics and exegesis and heresy and all this, what do I do about it, Pastor? Well, i want to give you a tool today. Everybody, if you're taking notes, write down S-O-A-P in capital letters. SOAP. SOAP. Go ahead and put that up. SOAP. This is a Bible study method that can help you to rightly divide and and get a lot out of your personal Bible study. You may not be a journaler. How many people like to journal? Raise your hand if you like to journal. Wow, not many. Okay. That's okay. This is not journaling. Well, it is. It's kind of like way of tricking you into journaling. But it's not like writing page after page after page of how you feel and how your day and how it went. It's not a diary, okay? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a way of studying the Word of God, okay? So the first thing that we talk about is S, and that is Scripture. When you're reading the Scriptures, um, you're going to read, you're going to read, and then as you prayerfully read the Scriptures, things are going to jump out to you. But man, I, whoa, wow. Verse 13 is just amazing. Write that verse down. Read a portion of Scripture. Physically write out a particular Bible verse that grabs your attention. You'll be amazed at what God will reveal to you when you slow down to write or meditate on what you are reading. I'm going to tell you this real quick. Ready? God doesn't care if you read the Bible through every year. Now, it might be a good practice for you. Maybe... He's not like clocking you, like, okay, let's go. One, two, you you've read it three times, good. No. Slow down. Read what you are reading. Don't just try to get through it. Okay? Actually be present. Okay, number uh, the letter O in soap. Observation. This is your exegesis, this is your observation. If I spelled something wrong, please don't mock me. Okay. Um, this is your eisegesis process. What do you see in the verse you're reading? What is the audience? Who is the audience? Is there a repetition of words? What words stand out to you? What is the main lesson or theme? Okay. What does what, what this thing say? If you see the word all in something, I would always circle it. I, my Bible is full of circles of the word all. Just certain things. Are there repetitions of words? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is love. Love, 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 right? Is there, is there certain things in there that are, are, are repeated? A, application. This is your hermeneutics. See, we've taken uh, these Bible study biblical tools that pastors use and we're bringing them home, right? Application. What God's word, uh, when God's word becomes personal, right? What is God saying to me today? How can I apply what I just read to my life? Are there changes that I need to make? How is the word active and moving in my life right now? What is it trying to say? And lastly, the P is prayer. Please, 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 please please do not read the Bible without there being an element of prayer in your reading time. Allow the Holy Spirit to enter in. That means you may have to slow down a little bit. Pray God's word back to him. If you see something about, you know, God is revealing something, pray about it. Let him talk to you. If he has revealed something to you during the time in his word, pray about it. What I talked to you about earlier is exactly what I what this is. I didn't sit down and have like a, um, and then God downloaded all this information into me. That's not how it worked. I was studying the word of God, and I was prayerfully considering what he was saying. I was talking to, to God in my, in my heart, in my mind, about things that are bothering me, and he revealed some specific things to my heart that I need to work on. It's not weird or, you know, I don't know. It is a little weird, but it's good weird. It's, it's not mystical is what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's awesome to have the Holy Spirit reveal to you out of the word of God direct things. He will do that for you. It doesn't just happen for pastors. All who prayerfully look at his word and want his guidance will get it. Confess if he has revealed some sin to you in your life. That's what I had to do. Take time to think. thank him, big part. Take time to thank him for his goodness in your life. And this is regardless of circumstance. God is still God when you're going through a trial. He's not enthroned. If we are transactional in our relationship with God, then he, he's on the throne, he's off the throne, he's on the throne, he's off the throne, he's on the throne, depending on our emotional state. God is God, regardless of our circumstances. In fact, one of, the, uh, one of those profound scriptures in, in the Psalms is, you know, Yay, though I oh, yeah, yay. King James, here we go. Yay, 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 verily, yay. Uh, um, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But that that verse says that there's you're gonna walk through stuff. But he's still he's still on the throne. He's gonna walk through that with you. Guys, I'm telling you, those those journals, six bucks on Amazon. Look for soap. Bible journal, soap, Bible journal, and you can find one. They're super easy. They're good tools. I hope you enjoy those who got them. I hope you enjoy them. And uh, we need to use this properly because if we do, man, it's going to be an awesome experience of walking with God. Make sure that you use that exegesis and that hermeneutical uh, principle and if you have any thoughts or concerns or you hear something online or you're, you're, you're watching something and something says something to you and it doesn't feel right, it's a thing. It's called a phone. Hey, pastor, I heard this. What do you think about that? And I will not tell you my opinion. because You don't care what I think. You want to know what God says about it. Right? That's what I'm here for. I love you guys. I want you to get everything out of this word for your life and your family's life. Lord, thank you for this time we could be together to study how to study, (laughs) to to talk about what it looks like to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, I pray a special protection over my flock. God, that you would protect their hearts and minds from the wolves that want to devour them, that want to lead them astray. Your word says it's going to get worse and worse the people deceiving and being deceived. God, I pray that our Understanding of the Word of God would be spiritual and uh, Holy Spirit revealed, and that it would jive and and work together with other scriptures. That we can rightly know we can be Bereans in our current day and age. Lord, I thank you for the eternal, inspired, infallible Word of God. And Lord, we want to hold this thing high, regardless of whether you can buy it in the dollar store or not. We want to have a good Understanding and respect for this word, and we thank you for it. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for the word. Help us to put this amazing tool into good practice. Jesus, in my Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at DiscoverNewLife.org. We hope to see you soon.